We're going to Revelation 5. Now, I don't want you to get excited. We're not going to figure out who the Antichrist is. Rumor is he's already here and he bought the Cowboys several years ago. It's all right. Theologically, we've understood that is not true because according to the Bible, the Antichrist is successful all the way to the return of Jesus. It does keep Saban in the mind, but nonetheless... So we're going to look at Revelation 5. Now, it is a continuation of Revelation 4. Man, the sound people do take over a stage, don't they? So Revelation 4 is a praise to God about his creation of everything. Revelation 5 is not. It's going to cover a different game. We're dealing with apocalyptic literature, so we've got to look at numbers and colors and symbols and metaphors when we work through this text. We're going to discover John knows what's going on, but John's been transported, and he sees a vision in heaven. And so we're going to start in Revelation 5. Now, here's where we go. Now listen to what he says. I saw, and he tells us three things in verse 1. I saw on the right hand of the one sitting on the throne a scroll written within and without, Sealed with seven seals. So the first thing he says, I saw God on his throne. Now we understand then from that symbolism, right? God's sovereign, it's king of kings, Lord of lords. There's nothing, and you have to remember this as we work through this text because John is going to go through all sorts of emotional oscillation. It's incredible. The first thing he sees is God's on his throne. He can then do anything he chooses. He is sovereign. Then he says there's a scroll on his right hand. Now, we know what that is when we read the rest of the book. It's a reversal of our failure in Eden. Genesis, we're removed from the tree of life. Revelation, we're given back the tree of life. And so it's a reversal of that. In Genesis 3, we basically lose four things because of our rebellion. God said, you eat the tree, that day you'll die. Nobody ever ceases to exist. That's not what death means. Death in the scripture is really four things. We lost God, not just in fellowship, but in relationship. We completely lost him. Number two, we lost each other. Adam and Eve had a harmonious, great marriage. And then when God shows up after the sin, Adam says, the woman you gave me, he blamed her and didn't name her. Their relationship is now broken. World's broken. God tells Adam, you're going to have thorns now in your agrarian work, which is not just that he'll see thorns, but a metaphor for the fact that this world is now no longer hospitable to us. It's going to sting us, which they exactly experience when they have two sons and one kills the other. And then they're broken. They've never known guilt, embarrassment, shame, humiliation. They've never known that, and now they exclusively know it. So it's for brokenness. That's death. And so this book, if opened in Revelation 5, it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It's not for me the most important chapter because everything leads to Revelation 5 and nothing occurs unless Revelation 5 is enacted. But you've got this scroll where Eden, the failure there is reversed in Revelation. Now, but here's the problem. John sees... God on his throne, so he is sovereign. He has a scroll in his hand 
which is the reversal of everything, and John knows that. And God's sitting on the throne with this scroll in his right hand. It's not in the bookshelf. It's not behind his back. The scroll's in his right hand. So obviously, the picture is that God wants John to have the scroll open. So the question obviously hangs. Well, why doesn't God open it? Because he can't. He's the one who sealed it. There are two problems after Eden. We can't fix our mistake, and God can't ignore our mistake. And so to open this would be to violate his own character, the own character of his word. He said, the day you sin, you die. He can't just ignore it. He's the one that set the seal. So he can't open it. So now if you're John, you're beginning to get a little terrified, but verse 2 shows up, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book, open the scroll, loose its seals. So you have this angel, very strong, very loud, going all over the universe, asking for anybody that can open the book. But then John's terrified. No one was able in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, to open the book, not even to look into it. And I kept on crying bitterly because nobody was worthy to open the book or to even look into it. John is not just crying a little. He, this Greek means he's continually crying. He is absolutely shattered. He is heaving. I mean, he is just wretchedly broken. Because if nobody opens this book, he stays where he is for eternity. There's an old statement that without Christ... This is the only heaven you have here with Christ. This is the only hell you have. Now you're going to spend an eternity in a dismal situation if this book is not opened. Eden is not reversed. So he's shattered. He's deeply wounded. And about that time, one of the council comes up to him. One of the elders said, quit crying. Behold the lion who's from the tribe of the Judah, the root of David. He's conquered. He's able to open the scroll and it's seven seals. So now if you're John, you're like, okay. And if you're li- John, you're listening to him, this makes great sense, right? It's a Jewish king, very powerful. Okay. God loves the Jews. They're his people. This makes great sense. So if you're John, you got to think here. If you're John now, you're waiting for the next scene, the drapes to open, and you're going to see a ferocious, powerful Jewish king. And now it opens. I saw in the middle of the throne, in the four living beings, and in the middle of the elders, a lamb standing as if it had been killed. So now if you're John, you're trying to figure this out. This is totally confusing to you. You just were told by someone in the heavenly council that there is someone to win. It's a Jewish king who's very powerful. And you look on the stage, and there's a little lamb. And then when you look just a little bit closer and you pay attention... Somebody killed it. But it's standing. And so now if you're John, this doesn't make sense. And then conundrum gets far worse. He has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. Seven horns. Now, here it is, okay? He's all-powerful, and he's all-knowing. So if you're John now, 
You got a lamb. Somebody's killed it. It's still alive. And now your real conundrum is, if he's all-powerful and all-knowing, how did anybody kill it? You can't overpower him. You can't sneak up on him. And lambs do not kill themselves. So how did this lamb die? And the only explanation, if you're John, is the understanding that this lamb willingly gave itself to death for some reason. And that is exactly what we see with our Lord. In Gethsemane, he says, Father, I don't want to go, but if you want me to, I will. There's voluntary submission there. We see when they come to get him, Peter, always Peter, pulls the sword out, goes crazy with it, misses Malchus's head, cuts his ear off. Jesus puts the ear back on. Jesus looks at Peter and says, come on, if I wanted to. I could call my father and we'd have 12 legions of angels, each legion five to 7,000 men. One angel in the Old Testament in one night killed 186,000 men. I'm good here, Peter. And then with Pilate, Pilate's getting scared. Against the sort of mouth Jesus and Jesus said, let me tell you something. You have no authority over me. The authority you have is given by my father in heaven. Our Lord voluntarily sacrificed himself for us. Now, so then he says, look, and whenever he came and he took and took the book out of the right hand of the one sitting on the throne, and whenever he took the book, the scroll, the four living beings, the 24 elders, fell before the lamb, each one, now watch this, each one having a harp, that's for all the worship people here, each one having a harp, and a, and a golden vial filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and you have bought back to God in your blood from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So here's what's happened, right? He takes the book. And now several consequences occur. Number one, there's a harp. There is a new Melody in the universe. Prayers of the saints for the first time since Eden, our prayers now work because our relationship with the Father has been restored through the sacrificial death and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 2 9 says he tasted death for every man, absolutely tasted death. They put the crown of thorns on him because now he's living out as he has the sting of the world on him. He's living the brokenness because his own men that he spent three years with are not here and will not be at the resurrection. He will die with one man believing in him. He drinks our filth. So for the first time, a member of the Trinity experientially knows shame, humiliation, and embarrassment because he has tasted ours. Very first thing he says on the cross, Father, forgive them. Last thing, Father, in your hands I commit my spirit, but at, between those he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is a breakdown in that relationship that's not total. I don't understand the depths of that, but somehow he tasted death for every one of us. And as he tasted death, his blood was poured out, and that blood is the payment God makes for Eden to be 
reversed. And then it goes on. Now look at the other consequences. You've made them a kingdom to our God. We now have a king. We've been our own king for now, but not now. Now we have a new king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. We now are in that kingdom, which means, by the way, that every one of us should make sure that king is in control of our life on a daily basis. Now here's how you do that. I think it's very simple, actually. If I really understand in my soul, not in my head, not in some lecture in a class, but I understand in my soul what Jesus Christ voluntarily sacrificed for me, if I get that, two things will be true in my life. I will hate what put him on the cross, and I will crave what qualified him to die on the cross. Those two things will be true in my life if he's really my king, as I understand what he did. Then he says, we're priests to God. Priests. We don't stand between people like the old priests, but here's what we do. I want you to listen carefully here, okay? This is not a political statement. Now listen. We're God's priests. So our job is to be his men and women, to step into a culture that is living in the curse of Eden, and to say to them, we know a way out. And it's in the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. We do that. It's our job, okay? Don't shoot the messenger here. Our job is not to fix our culture. It's to step into the culture. So our job is not to make America great again. Our job is to make America understand how great Jesus has always been. That is our call. And then he says, they will reign on the earth. There's coming a day. I don't understand that. But we're going to reign. And then he goes on. And he finishes up. Watch this. And I saw... I heard the voice of many angels encircling the throne of the living beings and the elders... Their number was myriads and myriads, thousands of thousands, singing with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, blessing. And every creation which is in heaven and upon the earth and under the earth and upon the seas and all the things in them kept on, were saying to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb, blessing, honor, glory, might, forever and ever. And the four living beings kept on saying over and over, over, amen, and the elders fell and worshiped. He said, okay, I get the end. We chase worship. You don't ever chase worship. Worship finds you when you chase Jesus Christ. They worshiped because they saw who the king was. They saw the sacrifice of the son. And they lived in the consequences of that sacrifice. And that drove their praise. Praise is never something we choose. It is a consequence of the one we know and we see, not just in our mind, but in our soul. That is it. And I'm telling you, one of the major problems in our church today is we chase worship. I am worn out with churches that have to have a contemporary service and an older service and a traditional service and a cowboy service, we have all these different services. I don't think there's a single person in this room that cared one lick about what song was being sung. 
all they knew. Their Savior died and was resurrected, and he did it sacrificially, and that's all they needed to know to worship the king. We have made worship a choice, not a consequence. Because we chase worship, we don't chase the Savior. We've missed it. So, in the sixth chapter of Mark, there's a time where Jesus has a bunch of people there and they don't have any food. And he looks at his disciples and he's very purposeful in this. He looks at his disciples and says, do we have any food? John says, well, AGB's closed, but I think we can get. So John says, no, we don't. What do we have? Five, uh, two fish, five pieces of bread. So he puts everybody, sits them down, feeds them, right? Twelve baskets over. Miracle. So he puts them in the boat. They take off across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus prays four in the morning. He sees them struggling on the lake, on the sea. He walks down, walking on top of the water. They see him coming. The Bible says he actually wanted to pass by them, hoping probably they would remember that miracle. No, he's a miracle worker. We're safe. But they start screaming. Steps into the boat. Wind stops. Waves calm. And it says this. They were exceedingly beyond measure among themselves amazed. For they did not consider the miracle of the loaves, their heart, was hardened. Their theology wasn't changed. They knew he was a miracle worker when he fed 15,000 people. They know he's a miracle worker now. Their theology wasn't altered at all. But they looked at it in a different light after he walked on the water. So just maybe for all of us, maybe. We don't need another lecture. We don't need another article. We don't need another book. Maybe what all of us need is a boat ride. Let's pray.